Support comes from Pacific Science Center, working to inspire the next generation of scientists and increase access to STEM education statewide through digital discovery workshops, science on wheels, and summer camps. More ways to support these efforts at PACSci.org. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Friday. This is Seattle Now. This week, Seattle police have new restrictions for when they're allowed to lie on the job. Sound Transit is going to start charging people who don't pay fares on the light rail. And it's almost time for chocolate popcorn. The Cinerama is reopening under a new name next month. Did I mention the chocolate popcorn? Author Jody Ann Bury and Needling Editor-in-Chief Lex Vaughn are here to break down the week. But first, let's get you caught up. A loose barge collided with the marina near Pier 66 yesterday before being secured by a trio of tugboats. The buildings on Pier 66 were evacuated as a precaution. Videos of the crash are all over social media. It was quite a sight. There was even talk of evacuating the Seattle Aquarium. The Coast Guard says Pier 66 was damaged. The barge was towed to Terminal 115. The federal government says it has evidence that Amazon destroyed two years' worth of communications. The messages are related to the ongoing antitrust lawsuit against the company. The FTC says Amazon executives used a feature on the Signal app to make messages disappear. It's the latest twist following the lawsuit filed by the FTC in 17 states, alleging Amazon was abusing its position in the marketplace. In a statement, the company called the latest allegations baseless and irresponsible. And not one, but two playoff soccer matches are going down this weekend. The Sounders are competing for the MLS Cup. They play against FC Dallas on Saturday night at Lumen Field. A win gets them into the conference semifinals. And OL Reign continue their NWSL playoff run against the San Diego Wave Sunday night. Although that one's in California, Megan Rapino has one more shot to win the NWSL final before she retires. A win puts the rain in the final next weekend. It is Friday again. Going to be rainy and dark for a while. And after Sunday, it's going to get even darker when we set the clocks back an hour. Jody Ann Bury is here. She's an author and speaker. Jody Ann, glad you're back. Glad to be back. And Lex Vaughn is here, the editor-in-chief of The Needling. So happy to have you, Lex. Happy to be here. All right, well... Seattle police officers officially have to limit their use of lies to do their job. This change comes after years of trying to get a more official policy in place. We did an episode on this back in April, which we will drop in the show notes. My first question, do you think most people are aware that police could legally lie on the job? I think people generally, like especially these days, um, don't have that high of opinion of cops in general. So it's not shocking at all that they would lie. I know that I'll keep it general, but as a reporter, I've totally been lied to by cops. So I I was very aware of that. Lex, as reporters, we always have to assume that people aren't always being, you know, Mm -hmm. if your mother says she's your mother, check her out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, I did not know that people assumed that police were honest or helpful. Um, I didn't know that they would need the legal some legal provision to lie. I just literally assume that that's what they did. I don't really <laughs> see police as like 
trustworthy. And I, I remember being lost as a kid once and walking into a supermarket and looking for help. And I saw a police officer and I walked out and I'm like, I can figure this out on my own. And I can't tell the police, <laughs> no. you know? So, wow. Yeah. So yeah, I, I didn't, I never assumed that police would be honest or helpful. I would like to know how often the police were intentionally lying to begin with. I mean, you know, I guess you have to assume always, like you said, Jody Ann, like it's a very slippery slope. The lying thing, the trust that gets broken. Um, I I just thought of something. I, I had like a little flashback of like growing up watching like Law and Order and you know all these other kind of justice criminal justice shows. And I mean, a big part of it is hearing people, you know, read the Miranda rights. You have the right to remain silent. And why is that a popular thing? It's because cops screw you over if you utter anything. And it's like the advice, you know, and the reason that those Miranda rights exist is. You have the right to m- remain silent, so remain silent until you have a real advocate by your side. I think even thinking about the cop shows, the copaganda that we've all been reared in, and trust me, I've seen a good number of procedurals. So, <laughs> um, I think what's an it's a a feature of that too is they're like, okay, we're gonna withhold this piece of information, or mm-hmm. we're gonna say this, and you know, maybe we can flush the perpetrator out, and mm-hmm. and you know, there's always some level of ruse or deception that you know cops in these shows have, and I think as viewers, we're conditioned to think that whatever it takes to get quote unquote justice, whatever justice is, right, which in these shows is always you know, catch the bad guy, catch the bad person, they're going to go to jail. But I think we've been socialized that as long as the ends justify the means that it's okay, right? I think what's interesting about, you know, this policy is the conversations that it can spark about trust and deception and power imbalances and you know, the way that we engage with institutions, right? If I see a cop, I'm going to assume that person is not trustworthy. But if I see another individual person, you know, I have a a different sense of that. You know, not everyone has that distinction. And so what a person in authority says can have a huge impact on your emotional state, your psychological state. How many stories have we heard of, you know, these ruses being used in ways where you admit to doing something that you did not do. You admit to being places that you weren't, you were not, right? The pressure of the ruse is real. The false confession is real. Exactly, the false confessions. And so I think that it's it's not just these simple ruses or lies, like, yeah. you know, in the stories that you're raising, it has real impact on people's behaviors. And I think especially now in this kind of post-fact world that we're in, where I can't even trust the images that I'm seeing Mm -hmm. half the time, that, you know, what does the truth matter in terms of how we um, engage with each other as as a public, right? Like as a culture. And so I think it'll raise more interesting conversations, I think. And hopefully those conversations can lead to further action that goes way beyond, you know, whatever this policy is. It also may give legal standing for people to sue the department when they feel like a police ruse tactic has tested the limits, right? Because they're going to have to document every ruse that they use. Mm-hmm. And and let's just, you know, remind everyone uh, when they sue the police department, they're really just, you know, winning Suing tax taxpayers, taxpayers <laughs> and, and, yes, oh, yes. and frequently uh, the cop who did the harm isn't even fired. So, you know, I, I, I sometimes just get 
tired of hearing the city pat its back on new rules that make things more accountable. It's like, well, do you guys have the teeth yet to actually hold anyone accountable? Because these rules don't mean anything if we don't ever see accountability. We don't see people getting fired when they should be getting fired. And boy, have we seen, you know, (laughs) many times over the years, cops not get fired when they should be. Um, And we've seen a fair share of that this year. Mayor Bruce Harrell making a big deal about it because we're first in the nation to (laughs) place these limits upon police. But we should actually mention specifically what they are. Police can still lie to further de-escalate a situation, to calm or provide comfort to a person, to promote the safety of a person for scene management, or to bring potentially violent situations to peaceful resolutions. Now, that last one is interesting to me because it just feels like potentially violent situation is completely up to your interpretation, law enforcement officer. Who's to say that the protesters gathered, the police wouldn't say the protesters gathered outside the police precinct, the East Precinct that night that they put that fake call out was a potentially violent situation that posed a threat to public safety. It is all, again, Lex, kind of gets back to your where is the teeth? Is this a paper tiger? What are we doing here? My guess is we will be sued. There will be a lawsuit against the Seattle Police Department at some point, which will further clarify what these things look like. And that is the way we regulate things through lawsuits eventually. The more I think about it, it's like, I think this really is a response to what happened with the the fake Proud Boy thing in 2020. I mean, I don't think these rules give all, you know, pretty wide leniency in how they can keep on lying. It sounds like they're just kind of maybe specifically limiting you know, like giant fabrications like that one in 2020. Is it okay to lie to someone if they're badly injured or you're trying to keep them calm? I will say this. That is such a fluff scenario. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it that is not if you're not. A, if you're Like who's even going to want to punish them for that? It, well, I think like lying about Proud Boys, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Compared Different to, scenario. oh, there's someone who's hurt and I'm trying to comfort them. It is, it is, it's this false equivalency that is, it's yeah. honestly maddening the, it's such a fluff scenario. It is such a fluff scenario. Also, to calm someone down in that situation, like you also don't no, have to lie, calm. right? <laughs> like I've asked, I've asked doctors, I like asked a doctor before major surgery. I was like, "Am I going to die?" And he goes, "It's possible, but it's not probable." And I'm really like, an answer. I was like, "That was so comforting to me." <laughs> Jody, was- you are right on so many levels here. You're right. That is a false equivalent to what we're really talking about here, because the potential for harm is far greater than the false comfort you could give someone in their, God forbid, dying moments. The whole idea of this, like, putting parameters on when police can lie, I feel like we have to take a step back and look at who we want in our police department and what we want our police department to be doing in this city. Because if we're limiting the scenarios where police can lie, then we really don't care about how people feel about police in this city. Because we're saying it's okay for police to lie in certain situations. And if you're really trying to build trust with a community, you don't let your officers lie. The scenarios within which police patrol can use these ruses, their mere presence is counter to the goals of being able to use those ruses. Like the presence of police can escalate a situation, right? It can people feel less calm and less comfortable. Mm. It can be more unsafe for someone if a police officer shows up, right? 
it can, you know, worsen scene management and it could make situations, even protests that are peaceful can escalate them to violence. And so I think we need to have a much larger conversation about police presence and police interaction and focusing on the lying. Yes, that could be helpful in some instances, but there is a much larger issue here. That's a great point. I just, you know, want to reiterate that none of these rules mean anything unless we really see a city that enforces accountability. And and there's already such a long list of things we want to see accountability for. Um, I just don't like the city congratulating itself on any of this when it, it's got a lot of work that is left on the table to do that it hasn't done yet. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of accountability, for the first time since 2020, passengers aboard Sound Transit's light rail and sounder service will receive a citation if they ride enough times without paying. This will start in a couple of weeks, but I noticed the warning signs in the station announcing the change this week. (laughs) Kind of a heel turn for Sound Transit, which mostly was just issuing warnings in 2020. But no more. Sound Transit says in a statement, the agency points to fare evasion as a security risk to passengers. Does that make sense to you? No, it's absolute nonsense. Yeah, I I think uh, our, the way fair enforcement works in this county and city is just so strange. It's like, you know, it's pretty clear at the stations we're not trying that hard to collect the fare in the first place. We haven't been. By their own admission, they're like, Just oh, by the design of the station it. itself. I mean, if you're a new person and you don't know how this place works... You're just like, what? Is it just free? Because <laughs> it's so easy to walk That's on there for free. <laughs> Having come from the New York area with actual turnstiles saying, stop, you need to pay. I, The invitation feels weak. We just have like a very <laughs> indecisive fair collection model. It's passive aggressive like the city. And what's unfair <laughs> is like, it just keeps on changing. It's like, oh, we don't really care. Now we care. Oh, now, it, like, oh my gosh. I know. I feel like I am saying this a lot, but. Patricia Murphy, Seattle Now, and KOW do not endorse skipping out on paying fares. <laughs> do you condemn? <laughs> listen, I, I'm, I listen. I grew up on the subway system in New York, and even with all of the changes that they've made physically to the space to kind of combat fare evasion, people will still not pay. You know, sometimes it's just simply easier, right? There are times I've skipped out on paying because. The line is so long to get through the turnstiles and then someone opens the emergency mm-hmm. exit and then people oh, just yeah. flood Love through it, it because like, <laughs> you just have to go. You know, the like public you is have like, to get let's from- get this for free. I don't care. It should be. So free. I, I think, you know, as far as fair evasion, I always find it interesting that people are paying millions and millions of dollars to recuperate millions and millions of dollars. And I just don't know if the math really maths on that. And, you know, I think there are alternative ways to get more money. I think just making it super easy to pay, right? Like, I, I equate it to, like, a, a gym membership. You know, I like to pay for my gym membership, like, a year out, right? So then I forget <laughs> that I'm, like, I've paid for something and I'm actually not going. Like, if you made it easier to just get a monthly pass and mm-hmm. maybe it broke even really mm-hmm. early, like, it would just be easier to have a monthly pass than to not have it or making things free. I, I don't know if, like, increasing costs for making people pay or infrastructure or these fair ambassadors, whatever, I don't know if that's going to get the city more money than just, like, making it easier to pay, you know, 
for more rides than you actually take. That's kind of a brilliant tactic, Jodi Ann. That's kind of brilliant. Yeah. You know, when when uh, Jodi Ann just uh, brought up membership, I had a little flashback to a previous conversation we had on here earlier this year, I think, about Costco uh, getting more strict about <laughs> that's what prompts the warning. <laughs> it, you know, there was you know news that Costco was going to be more strict about the memberships, and we talked about it on here, and it was just like, oh, you know, the reality is, it's like there's probably a certain type of person that's going to hear this in the news and be a little bit more scared, and in this case, well, I'll make extra sure I pay for my fare. And, you know, maybe that's, I don't know, all they're aiming for is like people who are a little bit afraid of getting caught doing something (laughs) bad. They're like, I'll pay. I'll make sure I'll pay. You are on to something here because, right, simply by saying it and putting the fair ambassadors out there, a certain number of people will be like, okay, fine. I'll get I'll get my stuff and gear and I'll remember to tap. Like, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The rule followers who are really probably just absent-minded or disorganized or whatever, right? I mean, there is a conversation here about rule followers, yes, but there's also a conversation mm-hmm. here about being black, <laughs> you know, yeah, being yeah. a person of color, being unhoused, right, or even looking disheveled. Then someone's going to harass you. Like yep. that's what I'm thinking about. Like, what is the level of harassment that you know people who are marginalized, people who are quote unquote undesirable in public mm-hmm. spaces are going to be harassed by this. Cause certainly this urban youth is the one who's evading fear, mm-hmm. not the person who's in a business suit and a briefcase. And so like that to me is the challenge here um, in terms of just people's ability to occupy public space without harassment. And truly the citations were disproportionately issued to people of color. So yes, these kinds of scenarios just lend themselves to that kind of bias. When you're asking humans to do a job, it lends itself to the statement that they made that somehow fare evaders make the light rail unsafe, Mm -hmm. right? Which lends itself to a conversation that's not necessarily true. If you have been dinged by a fair ambassador, your slate is going to be wiped clean, according to Sound Transit. But once this starts, two warnings and 50 bucks, 75 bucks after that. But you, the potential for like a real ticket that could bring you into court, which again, puts people into the criminal justice system, which nobody needs. Nobody needs to go to court. No, and I'm not showing a random person my ID. And just put turnstiles in, for God's sake. Really, just put turnstiles just in. So confusing. All right, let's pay full fare and take the light rail downtown <laughs> for a movie. Yeah. Break out the chocolate popcorn. The Cinerama is almost back. Or I guess we should call it by its new name, the SIF Cinema Downtown. Before we get into the details, anybody going to use the new name? No. It'll be years. It'll be years. I mean, it's like, okay, for legal reasons, whatever, you call it whatever you want. We're going to call it Cinerama and get our (laughs) chocolate I think people will say, oh, you know the old Cinerama? You know the old Cinerama? Like, it'll be several years before the new names. (laughs) Yeah. You'll be able to tell newbies because they'll refer to it by its new name. (laughs) The beloved downtown theater will open in December. First movie it's going to show is Wonka. I'm not even actually excited about that movie itself, but I like the theme because like, I think what we're all really excited about 
is the chocolate popcorn. And so, like, Wonka is like, that's great. That's perfect. Sparing, <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. The local snacks are fun, local beer and wine. And for the love of God, the chocolate popcorn. It's, it's very, just popcorn. It's, very meta. it's the reboot that no one asked for. <laughs> but if chocolate popcorn is in the building, yes. Sure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Brutal, Jody Ann. Anyway. How important is Cinerama's return to the artistic landscape of the city? Because you know they're going to be running SIF films along with the blockbusters. So that's kind of a big deal. I love that part. I'm here for yeah. SIF. Like, I I love SIF. I love the movies that you can't find anywhere that you know that you can't even get it on Amazon. It's not ever going to stream. I'm still looking for this one German film that I saw on an airplane once and I never got to see the last 10 minutes. And it's just like, <laughs> I like, I love those, those films. So, <laughs> no, if the new Cinerama <laughs> brings those types of films in, like, they might actually see me there. Yeah, fun, fun. I did hear, though, about a, a group of people that went to a theater to see the dramatic killers of the flower moon, but next door, the Taylor Swift <laughs> ah, tour movie. <laughs> was playing and it was like one theater full oh, of man. screaming teenagers and you know it was just not a good combo so i think they're gonna have to get the the synergy right there with the crowd maybe fight by the chocolate popcorn all the movies should have just like shifted their open dates when taylor swift came out with their little concert like thing it's like it was it's over but they're taking over the theater <laughs> For as long as they want. I'm guessing there won't be another one like that next <laughs> uh, door for quite a while. Next. Yeah, oh. yeah. No. Yes. When, when does that one come out? Film. December. Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, jeez. All right. Well, don't come for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and we are going to leave it there. Thank you. Jody Ann Bury is an author and speaker. Lex Vaughn is the editor-in-chief of The Needling. Really love having you two on. Thanks. Thank Thanks, you so much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. We can only make this show with your support. If you've become a member, thanks so much. If not, help us make more of this kind of work by donating to Seattle Now. We'll drop that link in the show notes. Today's episode was produced by Vaughn Jones with help from Jeannie Yandel. Our wonderful production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, Jenny Cecil Moore, Matt Martin, and Lucy Suchek. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you Monday. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. 